0: We are continuing today in our series of the Old Testament Kings, um, and um, we're calling this the Wisdom of Kings, and today the topic is wisdom. I suppose we could have called this the Wisdom and Foolishness of Kings, but uh, today we want to look at King Solomon, and Solomon, more than anything else, is known for wisdom, so let me just give you just really quickly the backtrack. Saul, the first king of Israel, uh, as the people demanded a king, as the other nations had, Samuel appointed uh, Saul as king, uh, followed by a guy named David, not Saul's son. You would expect that a king's son takes over, but Saul was foolish and the kingdom was taken from him and God gave it to David, the man after his own heart. We spent the last two weeks talking about David, who uh, was Humble, had a heart after God in spite of sins and mistakes that he made God continued to bless his, uh, his kingdom. And it's actually out of the line of David that we have the Savior, Jesus Christ. Uh, David had several wives, and the last of whom, which, which started as a totally sinful relationship with Bathsheba, produced a son named Solomon. Solomon became the king to follow David. And Solomon is known for wisdom. Ended his life somewhat foolishly, uh, you know, was basically obsessed with women and, and that led him away from God. But he really was known for wisdom. And most of us would like to be wise. It's probably the number one prayer request I hear. And certainly, you know, anytime I've been in a prayer circle to ask someone for prayer requests, somebody, and it's often been me, will invariably say, well, I just need wisdom for this decision or this relationship or this project or I just need wisdom. We, we ask for it all the time we, we want it, and, and I, I want to be clear what, that we understand what wisdom actually is. The dictionary would say that something like, you know, the wisdom is, is knowledge of truth coupled with good judgment, something like that. That's not a bad definition. I think of wisdom as, as, as knowing when to do what you know to do and how to do it. It's kind of bringing all those things together. It's the righteous application of truth. That's what wisdom is. Life's daily decisions are often not a distinction of right and wrong. Did you know that? It's often a distinction of what's wise and what's foolish. You know there's nothing wrong with eating two donuts at a time. It's not a sin. But is it wise? Right? So many of your daily decisions are about what, what would be the wise thing to do in this moment? Ultimately, wisdom is from God. In the New Testament, the book of James, chapter 1, verse 5, it says this, that if you need wisdom, ask our generous God and He will give it to you. A brother Hakam was just saying, God is a God who loves to give. He will not rebuke you for asking. If you need wisdom, ask God and He will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking. What is wisdom? Wisdom is a gift. It's a gift from God. It can be learned, it can be developed, it can be applied, it can be polished, but it is a gift and it's from God. True wisdom is completely unselfish. Later in that same book of James, uh, James writes it this way in chapter 3, verse 17. He says, The wisdom from above is first of all pure. It's also peace loving. It's gentle at all times. It's willing to yield to others. It's full of mercy and the fruit of good deeds. It shows no favoritism. It's always sincere. Do you notice everything about that description of wisdom is that somehow it's for the benefit of other people. Nothing in there says it's going to make you rich. It's really going to make people think well of you. You're going to be a superstar. None of that. It's all about the benefit of others. That's a that's a great description. That's a kind of a good understanding that, that wisdom is for others. And wisdom is exactly what you need. And it's what I need. And it's what you'd honestly love to be able to give away to other people. Wisdom is a benefit to others. So how does this become a reality, a reality for us? Yes, it's a gift. Yes, we ask God for it. But the early days of Solomon's rule... Give us a little glimpse into how we, in a sense, prepare ourselves to receive God's wisdom. And so we're going to be in 2 Chronicles chapter 2. I mean, 2 Chronicles chapter 1. And in in fact, I'm going to invite you to stand for the reading of God's word today. Um, We'll keep moving along here. If you're in the Red Bible, it's page 364. But 2 Chronicles chapter 1, it's early in your Bible. um, In the Old Testament, kind of partway into the Old Testament, and, uh, maybe next week we'll talk more about this, but if you ever read in the Old Testament, you feel like, wait a second, I feel like I've just, is this deja vu? Yes, it is. Because 2 Samuel overlaps with Kings, and, and Kings and Chronicles overlap each other. They retell the same things, but from a different perspective, because the audience is different. Um one's going to tell you more about the northern kings, one's going to kind of feature more in the southern kings. And so it's okay that you're sort of feeling like, man, I've read these stories before. Yes, you have. They're duplicated. Alright. Um, let's read Second Chronicles chapter one, uh, beginning at verse one. It says Solomon, son of David, took firm control of his kingdom, for the Lord his God was with him and made him very powerful. Solomon called together all the leaders of Israel, the generals and captains of the army, the judges, and all the political and clan leaders. And then he led the entire assembly to the place of worship in Gibeon, for God's tabernacle was located there. This was the tabernacle that Moses, the Lord's servant, had made in the wilderness. David had already moved the ark of God from Kiriath-Jerim to the tent he had prepared For it in Jerusalem. Okay? Two different locations. Gibeon, north of Jerusalem. Kiriath-Jerim, south of Jerusalem. Different places. I'll explain that in a moment. But the bronze altar made by Bezalel, son of Uri, and grandson of Hur, was there at Gibeon in front of the tabernacle of the Lord. So Solomon and the people gathered in front of it to consult the Lord. And there in front of the tabernacle, Solomon went up to the bronze altar in the Lord's presence and sacrificed a thousand burnt offerings on it. Verse 7. That night God appeared to Solomon and said, "What do you want? Ask and I will give it to you." And Solomon replied to God, "You showed faithful love to David my father, and now you have made me king in his place. O oh, Lord God, Please continue to keep your promise to David, my father, for you have made me king over a people as numerous as the dust of the earth. Verse 10. Give me the wisdom and knowledge to lead them properly for who could possibly govern this great people of yours. And God said to Solomon, because your greatest desire is to help your people and you did not ask for wealth, riches, Fame or even the death of your enemies, or a long life, but rather you ask for wisdom and knowledge to properly govern my people. Verse twelve I will certainly give you the wisdom and knowledge you requested, but I will also give you wealth, riches, and fame such as no other king has had before you or will ever have in the future. And Solomon returned to Jerusalem from the tabernacle at the place of worship in Gibeon, and he reigned over Israel. Let's be seated. Together, we thank the Lord for his word. Solomon certainly has recognized, or his reputation in history is that he really was the wealthiest king. Now, I don't know what you would have asked God if you'd have that verse 7 moment, right? When God appeared to Solomon. What do you want? Ask and I'll give it to you. I might not have been wise enough to ask for wisdom. I'd be like, whoa, I could use a new car. Like, I, you know, like... There was a wisdom in there. I don't know what you would have done in that moment. But thankfully, Solomon asked for wisdom and God blessed him with that and so much more. Some might say that God's blessings of power and prosperity weren't really a blessing to Solomon because that's part of what led him astray later in his life. As he became, as I said before, obsessed with women. And and maybe that was even part of the fruit of of his father's relationship with Bathsheba um, but he did get wisdom, and so three three keys here that might help you and me also ready ourselves to really receive God's gift of wisdom. The first is has to do with the setting of all these events. So Israel at this time did not have a temple for three or four hundred years, depending how they calculate it. They had worshipped in the tabernacle that had been created it was a tent that had been manufactured as they came uh, out of egypt in the exodus and so for three to four hundred years they had worshiped it had been it at, at shiloh and then it got moved uh, here to gibeon and um, that t- temple or that uh, tabernacle this holy place then was the, the worship was managed by the priests and the levites and the tent had housed the Ark of the Covenant as, as well, but the Philistines had captured the Ark of the Covenant. And, uh, but they didn't, it didn't go well for them. And so they returned the Ark of the Covenant to the, to the Hebrews. And then King David later had uh, relocated it from where, where the, you know, basically the Philistines had delivered it. And then David moved the Ark of the Covenant to his residence in or near his residence and made an, a separate tent for that thing. Uh, but the tabernacle and the altar for worship remained at Gibeon, about six miles northwest of Jerusalem. So if you're really going to do worship properly, if you're really going to get it right, you're going to go to Gibeon, to the tabernacle. That's where you meet with God. And so that's what Solomon does. He recognizes a need in his life, and he wants to get with God. And he worshiped, and that worship led to an encounter with God. Listen, friends, this has just been on my heart so much lately that my desire for you and for me and for our church is that we don't just kind of educate ourselves about God. We don't just learn about the Bible. We don't just learn about history. We don't just hear about those things. I don't want us just to be educated about God. I want you to encounter the living God. I want you to have an encounter with Jesus that will change your life like our brother talked about today. That's my desire for you and the people around you. I want us. I want you to move into that encounter mindset. That we actually experience who God is and what he has for you. That's my desire for you and for us as a church. And I, I would say it like this. If you're taking notes today, you can write this down. That wisdom, that, that worship sets the table for wisdom. Worship sets the table for wisdom. You've you've got Solomon going there, and he's worshiping extravagantly. I mean, if you're serious about receiving God's gift of wisdom that you need in your life, you need in your work, you need in your relationships, you need in your family, in your education, you need wisdom. And you cannot do better than preparing yourself through sincere, wholehearted, devoted worship the way that Solomon did. And true worship is going to cost you something. It might cost you your relationships, or your reputation, or it might might be a, a financial investment. It might be an investment of time, of emotions. It might be an investment of your, your body physically. There's ways that you invest. It's going to cost you something. It costs Solomon. He gave a thousand offerings, sacrifices on that altar. That worship sets the table for wisdom. And I would just ask, are you setting the table of your life to hear from God? Are you preparing your heart? Are you doing that in a way where you're sacrificially investing in worship? When we lay our own preferences down, when we lay our very heart down, we're getting ready to hear from God and receive his wisdom. Some of us look for ways. You know, I sometimes joke about how quickly we are to find an excuse not to, uh, to be around God's people and be in worship. And I'm just saying... Get there. When you're even, you know, even if you're on a vacation, you're away for a week or a weekend, get somewhere where you can worship. Be with God's people. Receive wisdom. Set the table through worship. But of course, there was a prompt that drove Solomon to this moment. And it's the weight of leadership. And if you're taking notes, you can write this down, that we could say that responsibility creates an urgency for wisdom. Years ago, I made a living as a Finnish carpenter. I was part time as a music minister in a church, and and I was I actually had been mentored by this just great Christian friend and and, and brother, uh, older guy, and he said, "Hey, you've been with me long enough. You you can go on your own, and uh, get yourself some tools. You'll be fine. You you can totally do this." And so I, I took his advice, and I and I did that, and. And I loved what I did, but I'm going to give you a little trade secret. If you're getting any work done in your house, if you're hiring a tradesperson, never ask the question, hey, can you do X, Y, Z? You ask them, have you done X, Y, Z? Because we say, if you say, hey, can you build this? I'll say, yes, I can. Never done it before. No idea what I'm doing. And so sometimes... This urgency of responsibility would, would cause me to call my friend Dave and say, Dave, how do I do this? How do I lay out this ceiling? How do I, how do I build a banister? I remember he would just kind of try to instruct me on the phone. I'm like, okay, okay, cause the customer doesn't know that I don't know what I'm doing. Right? There's a kind of a, a, a responsibility that creates an urgency for the know-how. And if you're a parent, Or you're a grandparent, you know exactly that. You remember those prayers all along the way. Oh, Lord, I need your wisdom. I do not know what I'm doing here. How am I going to do that? How am I going to raise these kids? Responsibility creates an urgency for wisdom. And yet it can break down for us because we can take on a new responsibility or a leadership role, maybe a new job or a new relationship or if we have a volunteer task at church or something, we think, well, obviously... They only ask me because I can do this. I mean, I know what I'm doing here. I got this covered. I can handle it. No problem. Right. Rather than the humility of saying, wow, I'm going to need wisdom for that. I, I think we should actually ask God to put us in places where we have no choice but to depend on him. No choice but to reach out for wisdom. And Solomon could have said, well, hey, obviously I'm the guy for this. I mean, I know what I'm doing. I mean, I'm I'm well mentored by my, my dad. Everyone's affirmed me. I'm eminently qualified. I, you know, I've got this. But instead, he prays and in verse 10. He says, he prays, God, give me the wisdom and knowledge to lead them properly for who could possibly govern this people of yours. Solomon recognized these were not his people. They were God's people. And if he's going to govern and lead God's people, he's going to need God's wisdom to be able to do that. And the people you lead at work or at home or at church or wherever it is, they're not your people, they're God's people. And God's granted you responsibility for his people. And the program that you lead is not your program. Bethany's not my church. It's God's church. And so it's filled with God's people, right? So we belong to the Lord. And so, like everyone, I need wisdom too. If if I'm going to do what God's called me to do. Uh, Solomon says, I want to lead your people, Lord God. And that's the mindset we have to have. It's not mine, it's the Lord's. So we humble ourselves as Solomon did. We put ourselves in a position of dependency. We We want to... Be humble enough to ask God, God, can I have wisdom? I'm going to need this to lead your people. Now, craziest thing about wisdom, it's that wisdom is a gift that works in reverse. Wisdom is a gift that works in reverse. What what I mean is this. We typically look at someone who's wealthy or successful in some way, they've accomplished things. We say, wow, that person must have become wise through all that they've accomplished. But Solomon discovered that that wisdom does not come from success, but success comes from wisdom. Jesus said, Matthew 6.33, seek first the kingdom of God and everything else will be added to you. I have an acquaintance right now. He's, he's uh, working hard in a new career. He is killing it. He's doing amazing. And uh, he has the potential to be very successful, very prosperous, and uh, but you know I'm watching him, he's disconnecting from his own family. He's already disconnected from his church family. Don't worry, he's not he's not from our church. Um it's all right. And I'm concerned about him because he's he's pursuing success so hard he's forgetting to start with wisdom. And it's gonna get him in trouble. And and I'm not saying we shouldn't try hard. I'm in no way against. Uh, success. I think we should do our best. I think we should compete with all we got. I think we should do excellence. I want you to prosper. I want you to succeed. I want you to flourish in every way. But if the goal is success, then we're going to learn the hard way, the very hard way that success is fleeting. It comes and it goes so fast. I love how Proverbs twenty-eight, eleven, puts it. It says, rich people may think they are wise, but a poor person with discernment can see right through them. Again, there's nothing wrong with wealth. God bless Solomon with wealth. But if you want to flourish in life, we want to then be like Solomon in those early days, seeking wisdom. Let the Lord bring the success. It starts with worship. It grows with humility of, of seeing that we have a need. It's a gift. Wisdom is a gift that God loves to give. But we have to prepare ourselves for it. And if you're serious about Growing in wisdom, and one thing you can do is begin to read through the book of Proverbs. written by Most of it's written by Solomon. Just read through it. If you read a chapter a day, you'll get through it in a month. You can read it 12 times a year and you really begin to soak in God's wisdom for your life. Proverbs 9, verses 10 through 12. It kind of summarizes everything we've talked about here. puts it this way. Fear of the Lord. I think, Johnny, can you go to one more slide if we have it? Fear of the Lord is the foundation of wisdom. Knowledge of the Holy One results in good judgment. Wisdom will multiply your days and add years to your life. If you become wise, you will be the one to benefit. If you scorn wisdom, you will be the one to suffer. Church, I want us to be people who who are wise, who pursue wisdom, who love wisdom, who love God's people enough to want to be uh, wise leaders. Let's follow Solomon's example, set the table with worship. Just when we gather in in worship or if you listen to worship music in your car or as you read scripture, just thank the Lord. Give him praise. Just overflow with gratitude. And let him begin to soften your heart to set the table in your life so he can begin to fill the dishes on your table with his wisdom. That's how it works. Recognize that you need it. Be humble enough to say, God, you've put me in places that might be the smallest responsibility, but even there, God, I need your wisdom. And then just desire that godly wisdom and more than worldly success. Let's pray together. God, we're grateful for um, the life and, and testimony of Solomon, the good parts. Lord, we grieve at, at the troubled parts, but Lord, we recognize that he started so well to say, God, I can't do this without you. And, and church, as we, as we gather here this morning, maybe you, you might be somebody right now who's just thinking, I am overwhelmed with my tasks. I am overwhelmed. My, my, my job is just killing me right now. I can't, it's I, too much. Or my relationship with my, my spouse or my kids or my home life. God, I can't do this. If that's you, you're in a good place because you're readying yourself to say, God, I need your wisdom to govern your people. For the benefit of others, God, would you give me your wisdom? If that's you today, I just invite you in your own quiet ways that, God, I need to receive from you for the benefit of others. Lord, we love you. We thank you for your amazing grace over us today. We thank you for your your, uh, abundant blessing, gift, provision of wisdom into our lives. We give you our praise. In Jesus' name, amen.